You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. It's so great to worship with all of you and spend time together. It's uh, one of my favorite parts of the week is gathering together and worshiping with all of you. It's a great way to start our time together. I want to welcome everyone on the live stream as well. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard, and we're praying for you as well, asking God to speak to you wherever you may be tuning in. Um, a couple of chuckles on the way in this morning, so I might as well just go ahead and say it. I told you I was, I t- I was going to shave the mustache, but um, I made a little wager last week that if the Broncos beat the Chiefs, that I would keep the stash for a few more weeks, and so here we are. Um, I know that's for the Broncos and not the stash, so, <clears throat> but it is what it is. We're going we're gonna to rock. You know, you could join me. Like, there's some good mustaches in the church already, so we could just have, you know, a whole bunch of guys. It will look like a cult. It will look like we are a cult if that happens. So we'll just have to be really clear that that's not what we're doing, but... No, you could always grow a mustache. We are, we're kicking off a new series. You can see the artwork behind me. It is designed to look a little provocative. It's called Four Letter Words. I just want to let all the parents know ahead of time, um, no earmuffs needed. This entire series, every message is going to be age appropriate the whole way around. But these are words that Christians don't always like to say. Or maybe they're words that people don't like pastors to say out loud into a microphone, and we're going to say them. And uh, we're going to provide biblical teaching about these four-letter words and practical application about these four-letter words, because the hope and the prayer is that we can all grow in our relationship with God, that our life with Christ can come alive more and more and more. And sometimes that means saying the words we don't want to say, and allowing God to move us through discomfort into health. And so that's what we're going to be doing. Every Sunday, we'll introduce a new four-letter word that sometimes we just don't like to say. Today's message is simply titled, Pray. Simply titled, Pray. Pray is your four-letter word, and I realize it's a little anticlimactic after that introduction. Some of you are already checking out, but the reality is this is a four-letter word for a lot of Christians. You know, if we take a poll around this room right now and I said, who would really like to come up, grab a microphone and pray out loud for our service right now? You know, like a handful of you would love that and you've been waiting for your invitation, but most of us would hate that. We don't want to do that. We don't even like when our parents call on us to pray at the dining room table, let alone pray in front of a whole church, right? I mean, this is a real thing. Christians aren't quite as good at praying as maybe we like to say that we are. And as I say that out loud, like there's a couple of different things happening in the room right now. One, if you're either exploring the faith, maybe you're not a Christian and you found yourself in church this morning kind of discovering, wanting to discover what it means to follow Jesus, you might be a little surprised to hear that Christians aren't that good at praying. You might think you're in the wrong spot. Like I thought Christians were like good. I thought religious people were good at praying. Like I maybe didn't know. There's some things I didn't know. But the reality is Christians aren't always great at praying. We don't think we um, are that great at praying. And two, if you are a Christian, like I said, you might already be checking out. Like, come on, man, another boring message on prayer? Like, I've heard this a hundred times. Let's move on to something else. But here is what I know. 
Christians pray a whole lot less than the Bible invites us to pray. And many of us have serious fears or intimidations or insecurities around maybe even, let's say, praying out loud for someone that we deeply love. Even some of the people we love the most, the people in our home, we have a hard time mustering up the words to pray for our spouse or to pray for our kids or to pray for our best friends out loud in the same space. Many of us struggle to find out how to do that. On top of that, there are others in this room and tuning in online who are forced to pray repetitious prayers one after another after another growing up. And because of that, you've kind of just, the pendulum of prayer has swung to the opposite side and now you just don't like to pray or you find it really boring. And you wonder, is God even doing anything? Is he responding to my prayers? How come I don't feel God or how come I don't sense God or it doesn't seem like there's no, there's any God activity surrounding my prayer life right now and so we just stop praying. Then there's those moments where you get around someone who doesn't quite know how to pray and they're always staring at you like eyes open and it gets a little awkward because you're wondering, have they gone catatonic or are they just like staring? Like, what is going on? I have really no idea what is taking place. You know, this uh, fear of prayer is all over, uh, it's all over the Christian world. And what happens is that I feel like I take the brunt of a lot of it. Because then in public settings, because I'm Pastor Jeff Faust, although no one calls me that, but this is a real thing. When I go to family gatherings, they're like, oh, Jeff's here. Great. He can do all the praying. <laughs> like now I'm officially off the hook. Or when I go to like a special event, I'm like, oh, Pastor Jeff, will you bless our time? Or, or family, like Thanksgiving dinner is coming up. Like if my family is tuning in online, I'm letting you know right now, if you call up, I will pray the longest prayer you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> This is what I do. I've been doing it for a couple of years now. My kids are sick and tired of it, but they know the drill. If someone calls on me to pray at a family gathering, I will preach pray us all the way to dessert. I'll just keep going. Nobody likes to interrupt the pastor's prayer, so I will just go on and on and on and on until someone shouts, amen. But I like messing with people. Like, this is like how my sick mind, like the Lord's still transforming me too, okay? But this is, I like to tweak people and just mess with them. And this is like the most Christian version I can think of. But I really do love prayer. I mean, I, I'm fascinated by prayer. I, mean, I, I don't know the last time you really stopped to think about what is happening when you pray. But it's mind-boggling. It's, it's an amazing endeavor. I, I, I am fascinated by prayer. Everything about prayer is interesting to me. There are scientific benefits. There are medical benefits to living a life of prayer. I, I, I've seen firsthand the, the, the benefits of experiencing God in the place of prayer. I have great faith behind what happens when a group of believers gather together to pray. I, I'm fascinated by prayer, and I think part of it is because I spent most of my, my early years running away from God. And I mean running hard away from God. I had nothing to do with Jesus growing up. I, I, I wasn't really trying to follow him. I was trying to follow the world in a lot of ways and get other people to, to go on those adventures with me. But when I did give my life to Christ in college and I realized the God of the universe, the creator of all things, wants to hear my voice and he wants to speak to me, I was amazed that I could find my place, myself in the place of prayer. I bought every single book 
I could find on prayer. I read them all. I read them all. I would not recommend half of them, but I read all the books that I could find on prayer. And I had no idea how to pray. I mean, I really didn't. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what to pray. I didn't know what to do. I saw some people standing to pray. I saw some people kneeling to pray. Some people folded their hands and like interlocked their fingers like this. And then I discovered some Christians, they pray like this. And I thought, well, well that's a new thing. Which one's more spiritual? How, how do you get like greater access to God? Is it hands like this or is it hands like this? Or is it hands in the air or is it on, on your knees to pray at your bedside? Like what, how do you get even more access to the creator of all of the universe? Is it eyes open? Is it eyes closed? All of these things I thought about because I truly did not know, but I was fascinated by prayer. I mean, it, it is amazing. It is amazing to think that the creator of all the universe loves to hear your voice. And he wants to speak his voice in a way that you can hear. This is amazing. But for years, I didn't know how to pray. Still, still feel like I sometimes don't know how to pray. Still fall asleep during prayer. But like anything that's new, I knew I wasn't going to get better at it just by hoping. I knew I actually had to try to pray in order to grow in prayer. So I just prayed about everything. I prayed in celebration. I prayed with thankfulness. I prayed with expectation. I prayed the most selfish prayers you can imagine. I prayed in grief. I prayed while I was mourning. But I knew one thing early on in my walk with Christ, that if I could pray, and that if God would listen, I wanted to spend as much time there as I could. That if somehow as a follower of Christ, we have access to God's ears, that I want to find myself in the place of prayer. And this is our invitation to today. That pray doesn't have to be a four-letter word for any Christian, but it can be an opportunity for us to experience God's love, to experience his transforming power. And even when we get bored and we don't know what to say or we lose our train of thought and we start thinking about all the things that we have to do for the rest of the day or the rest of the week, that even in those moments, God still loves to hear our voice. He still loves to spend time with us. I want to turn to a passage. You know, the Bible talks a lot about prayer. We're not going to have time to look at every passage this morning, but I want to read one chunk of scripture together this morning. It's from 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is a beautiful passage because Timothy, who's a spiritual leader, is writing a letter to someone that he had placed into a position of, of spiritual authority and leadership himself, young Timothy, someone that Paul had discipled and mentored. And this is what he writes to him. This is what he says to him. And, and dare I say, this is what Paul is still saying to the church and still saying to us today. 1 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. 
This is, this is an amazing passage. It's an amazing passage. And in verse 1, Paul urges all of us. He starts by saying, just like a preacher, right? He says, first of all, I urge you to pray for all people. Pray for all people. To pray for them, to intercede for them which simply means to, to pray with confidence and faith on behalf of others, but you can also pray for yourself. But to pray for everyone and, and to even give thanks for them. Real thanks, honest thanks. With, with thanksgiving, pray for the people around you, even when you don't like them very much. Even when you just got into a fight, pray for them with thankfulness deep within your heart. It says to pray for everyone, even kings and leaders and people in authority. Again, notice in verse 2 how it says to pray for them all. Not just the ones you like. Not just the ones you voted for. Not just the one who, who shares your same policy and opinions on different things. Pray for them all. Pray for them all, Timothy. Pray for them all, church. And then I love verse 3. Because it says that these kinds of prayers can bless God. They please God. They please our Savior, which is a beautiful thing to kind of entertain this morning. That our prayers bless and honor and please God. As you work your way through the text, though, it gets just so much more interesting for me. Because then Paul, he links prayer and salvation together. Did you hear that? He says, pray for everyone because God wants everyone to be saved. Pray for everyone because God wants everyone to be saved. All people, all backgrounds. God sent Jesus Christ so that all might be saved. As followers of Christ, God is inviting us to take up this charge. To respond to this direction. To pray for everyone so that all might be saved. If you're here this morning or you're tuning in online and you're not following Jesus and you hear this passage, or you hear me talking about this, you might begin to question, you might begin to wonder, well, why do I need saving? Why is the Bible so fixated on me getting saved, and why does the Bible tell strangers to pray for me? It's kind of odd. I mean, these are really interesting questions. But as you study Scripture, and as you get to know Jesus, you realize pretty quickly that the Bible doesn't talk about sin in the way most of us think about sin. See, most of us think about sin, whether culturally or just maybe even your own family history or, or church tradition. We, most of us think about sin as something bad that we've done that needs to be corrected. And although that's partially true, the way Jesus actually talked about it most of the time is that sin is more like a virus or a sickness that wants to control your life. And one bad thing leads to another, leads to another, and it's contagious from, from kind of within your own soul, and so you begin to do the things that you never intended to do, and you struggle to find the strength to actually do the things that you're desperate to do, because sin is like a virus, and it's come to take you captive. It seeks to control your mind and your heart and your life, but in verse 6, it says that Jesus died for you. Because he wants everyone to be saved from this sickness. It says that he came to purchase your freedom. Jesus died on the cross, and when he did, he broke the power of sin and disease over all of creation, and he broke the power and the controlling nature of sin over your life. 
Now you've been given the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to believe in the power of the cross so that you can be saved and set free from this sickness, so you can begin to experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ moving in, through, and beyond you. If you've never accepted this free gift of salvation, maybe today is the day where you can start a new relationship with Jesus. And by the end of our service this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity to make that very decision today. But truthfully, even if you follow Jesus your entire life, even if you follow Jesus for your entire life, sin is still knocking at your door, seeking to control, to wrap its arms around you again and suck you back in. And Jesus died for your freedom as well, so that you could be free and that you could continue to be free. Jesus purchased your ongoing freedom on the cross when he broke his body and he shed his blood. We all need continued freedom. I love this passage. I've been reading it all week, just allowing my heart to be saturated in this passage. It's a powerful invitation for all of us. It's a reminder for our entire church and everyone who calls this church home. That Paul urged Timothy to pray and to keep on praying, to pray for everyone. And I think he's saying the same thing to us this morning. For the rest of our time, then, I just want to get really practical with you. I want to get really practical, practical about, about the place of prayer what it looks like for us to find ourselves in the place of prayer. I'm going to share 17 words with you that I think will change your life. It's that easy. I'm not going to write a book. It's not going to be 17 principles, just 17 words. I, I believe, I'm betting my life on the fact that these 17 words can change your life. 17 words in three different phrases, and the first one is this, can I pray for you right now? It's a common phrase that we use at the vineyard, but I think we forget about it from time to time. It's easy to memorize, really hard to say out loud. Easy to memorize, really hard to apply to your life. Can I pray for you right now? I was joking earlier with Bristow Hood, another one of our pastors. It'd be really awkward if I said these words out loud to him and then I just quietly prayed in my head, head and stared at him right next to him <laughs> and then walked away and said, okay, I'm done. Like, this, is, this question is going to require you to open your mouth and make some kind of sense of the words that are coming out of your mouth. Can I pray for you right now is probably going to require you to pray out loud for the person you just asked that question to. But I promise you it will change your life. If you use this phrase in your home, it'll change your family. If you use this phrase at church, it'll impact lives. And if you use this phrase in public, you'll be joining God's mission and transforming all things. Can I pray for you right now? Not later, not let me jot a note down, and, and as you come to my mind, I'll pray for you. All those things are true. All those things are good. Pray for the person in the moment and pray for them later on, on your own. But using this phrase, can I pray for you right now, will change the world. About two months ago, I was playing golf with Kingston, my son, who's in the room here this morning. Most of our good stories right now start with the phrase, we were playing golf. This is how it's going in our family. But this particular day, it's just uh, uh, maybe two months ago, we were out playing golf, 
And it was just us. So, so the way this works is they usually try to send people out in groups of four at a time. So they, they put someone else in our group, just another guy who is out on his day off trying to enjoy some golf. And my son knows the drill, right? Like if we're out golfing and someone gets put in our group, we're going to have a conversation about Jesus. It could go really well. It could go really poorly. We don't know. That's the fun part about it. But, but we're going to talk about Jesus. Like, he's just so deep in my heart. He, it just can't help but ooze out. And, and I just want to love everybody as best as I possibly can. And I have found one of the best ways that I can love someone is remind them how much Jesus loves them. And so we're in a couple holes, and we, we start up a conversation about faith. And this guy starts to tell me about how, he, how he's never really been a church guy, right? He's never really been very religious. In fact, because of some of his family history, he has a really hard time talking about faith and talking about religious things. And I thought, man, this is perfect because I don't feel like I'm very churchy. Well, I, I think we're going to get along pretty well. I mean, I know like I'm a pastor and I know I, I love church. I genuinely love church, but I don't consider myself a very religious dude and a very churchy guy. I feel like we're going to get along pretty well. We talked about everything. We talked about football. We talked about his family, his kids. We talked about work, right? At the turn, he bought me a drink, and I didn't, like, raise my nose and get all snobby about it. We had a good time together. We played golf together, and, and in and out of different holes, we talked about Jesus together. The conversation was going so well that I thought I could take a risk and I could ask him this question, can I pray for you right now? And by the way, just a little window into my head, this is, it creates tension because I want to pray for the guy, but I also want to beat him in golf. <laughs> I genuinely want to beat him in golf. And I was up by like three strokes. So I, like, the Lord laid this question on my mind about hole 15. I was like, okay, hole 18, I'm going to ask him this question. But I was only up really by two or three. So I'm living in the nervousness of getting ready to ask him this question, but also the nervousness of, of trying to beat him in golf. And like one shank, one, one ball in the water, and it's all lost. Right? So we get to the 18th hole. We finish our putts. I did beat him, which was really special. I, <clears throat> I felt really good about that anyway. But if you've never... <laughs> If you've never watched golf, on the 18th hole, it's kind of customary to take off your hat, to shake hands and say, you know, good game, it's great to play with you, blah, 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 and you go about your way. But no one was behind us, and so we were just standing on the 18th hole, and we did all the customary stuff, and I just said, you know, I, I feel like we've had a really good time together today. And I just want to know if I can pray for you right now. And then you just have to kind of wait. You don't really, it's a vulnerable moment. And I've spent a lot of I spent a lot of time and energy in my life getting over the fear of asking that question so that even when I am a little insecure, I still ask the question and then we just kind of have to wait and see what God's going to do. But he looked at me and he said, uh, yeah, sure. And remember, this guy has real, like no real faith background at all. So he doesn't, I don't think he really knew what that question meant. So, I, so then at that point, you, you have to tell them what you're going to do. Otherwise, it gets really awkward. So I just told him, hey, man, like, I'm just going to put my hand on your shoulder, and I'm just gonna, I won't keep it really long, but I'm just going to pray for you, and, and I just really believe God might do something. So let's just pray together for just a moment. So I put my hand on his shoulder, and I just said, come, Holy Spirit. What do you want to do right now? And I just started praying for him. And I prayed for his family. I prayed for his kids, because that's something that we had talked about from hole four to hole seven. And I prayed for his job because he was wrestling with some things at work. 
And I, I just prayed for his life, that he would experience God. And that even if he's not very religious, that he would find a relationship with Jesus interesting. That he would maybe explore that. And then after a while, I just felt like the time was up, and so I said amen. And in those moments, you, you never quite know how God's going to show up. You, you can't like manufacture the power of God to show up in those moments. You just can't do that. You just have to be faithful and to wait and to, to pray and to expect. And I, I just thought it was going to be all done and we were going to go our ways and I was going to drive home thinking, man, that was kind of awkward the whole time. But what happened at the end of the prayer was that he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes. And he just grabbed me and hugged me tight, like tight. See, no one had ever really done that for him before. Imagine all the people in your life. Imagine all the people that you bump into throughout your day-to-day, -day, your week-to-week, -week, your month-to-month, -month, whatever it is. Imagine how many people have never had someone pause for a moment and say, can I pray for you right now and then actually do it? Imagine how many people you pass by who've never been intentionally prayed for in that kind of way, maybe ever. You could be the first person to get a chance to pray for them. The prayer went okay. I didn't feel the power of God. It's probably one of those prayers that you like pray and you kind of wonder if God was doing anything. But obviously he was. He was up to something. And I invited him to our church. I've never seen him at our church. We exchanged numbers. We've talked a little bit, tried to get another tea time, haven't been able to get another tea time together. But I do know that God's doing something. That, that was a moment where he planted a seed in that man's heart. And we have no idea how that's going to come to fruition. It was just in that moment. It wasn't like some massive aha moment. It wasn't like he looked over there and was like, look, Jeff, there's some water there. What's keeping me from getting baptized right now? <laughs> like, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. But it was still a sweet moment. And then the secondary benefit is that my son Kingston was there. And I'm trying to witness and model life that as Christians, we pray for people to my children so that they can witness and see this as well. I mean, this phrase, this phrase is hard to say out loud to another. I get that. It takes a lot of work. It takes internal work to get over that fear and begin using that phrase out loud. But like any other exercise, the more you say it, the more you do, the easier it gets. And you'll have awkward moments. Man, I've got, there, there are awkward moments. But just embrace the awkward. God is moving in ways that we are most of the time completely unaware of. If you're keeping track, this phrase is only seven words, and I've got a few more to share with you. Thankfully, the next phrase is really easy to memorize. It's very similar to the first phrase. It's, can you pray for me right now? Again, I'm sharing with you practical tools that will change your life and change your family and change this church, city, and world. If you can memorize, can I pray for you right now and start using it, this one's equally as powerful. Can you pray for me right now? Can I pray for you right now? Can you pray for me right now? And by the way, these phrases, they will change your life. They'll change your marriage. You want to talk about, I mean, like this, these prayers, they will legitimately change your marriage. It, it's kind of an unfortunate thing, but we all know the statistics, right? We all know that a lot of marriages experience hardship, pain, and even end in, in divorce. I, I think like it's about half of marriages and in divorce. And that's a tragic thing. It's never something that someone gets married to thinking, you know, this is what I'm aiming for. It's not. And listen, I, I want you to know, I grew up in a divorced home. I know the pain behind that. 
And I also know that the church hasn't always been very good at talking about folks who have gone through a divorce. I want you to know if you've been through a divorce or you're going through a divorce, this is a church where you can heal. This is a church where you can experience God. And this is a church where you can belong and you will be loved deeply. But divorce is just, it's hard. And almost half of marriages end in divorce. But do you know the statistic behind, the statistics, excuse me, behind marriages who report consistently and ongoing praying for each other, how often they end in divorce? It's one in 1,500. That's 50% to something like 0.06%. And that's a big enough number that we should just say, we should just encourage our marriages to pray for one another. Listen, can I just, like, as a man in this church, can I just speak to the men in this church for a moment? Pray for your wives. Pray for them. Out loud. Use this phrase. Use the first phrase, can I pray for you right now? And then ask that phrase, can you pray for me right now? And when you ask those questions, I just want to be really honest. Like, just listen. Ask how, how your spouse's wife or uh, how, how your spouse's life is going. And really listen. Listen not to fix or to change, but just listen to listen. And then pray. Put your arm around her. Hold her hand and pray for her. You'll be amazed at what might happen in your family. You'll be amazed at what might happen in your house. And plus, you know, secondary or tertiary benefits, if you listen really, really well and you love really, really deeply and you hold her hand or put your arm around her while you pray for her, all kinds of benefits might come your way. <laughs> that are different words for a different day. I think, you, I think you know what I'm talking about. We could get really awkward here really fast, but I'll just stop. Can you pray for me right now? After you ask the phrase, can I pray for you right now? I mean, there are moments where I like seriously need prayer. Seriously need prayer. And it's embarrassing to admit that sometimes it takes me a long time to realize that. Like way longer than it should. You just get into your habits. You just get into your routines and things are going the way they're going and all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, my, my heart is falling apart right now. My mind is filled with anxious thoughts. I mean, Natalie and I, we got into a fight earlier this week and I was like, well, I should use these praises. Can I pray for you right now? Can you pray for me right now? And if we can shrink the time between anxiety or stress or frustration or fight, and this phrase, can you pray for me right now? Can I pray for you right now? The shorter that gets, the healthier your marriage will be. The time between those two moments. But it's not just marriage, it's everything. It's every relationship. If you're having strife with a friend, have you ever considered praying for a friend out loud together? Here's a really interesting question would your best friends even know that this is part of your language? That you would stop and that you would believe that in order to see the most amount of reconciliation and the most amount of transformation, that that phrase is part of your vocabulary. Do your friends know that? I know that's really bold. That's why I'm standing here because this is where I deliver the bold words. But like really think about that. Do my friends know that phrases like that are what actually make me tick? They actually shape my worldview. Can I pray for you right now? Can you pray 
for me right now. This is 14 words. I've got three more for you, and the next three are really important. They're important to our church, and I want to urge you and implore you that they would be important for your life. The three phrases, or the three words, excuse me, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. When we say this phrase at this church, and and this is actually a phrase that's said over all kinds of vineyard churches all over the world. It doesn't mean that we don't think the Holy Spirit has been here the whole time. He's everywhere. The Holy Spirit is currently here. But when we pray that prayer, it's kind of a, a way that we position our hearts in front of God and we say, we know that you're here, but now we want you to move among us. Listen, I, I do not want to just be a good speaker. I have no interest in delivering messages to you every week. I want you to experience God. I can speak on behalf of everyone on the worship team. They don't want to just play good songs. They want you to experience God. They want you to worship the living God. If we lose track of this phrase in our church or in your life, at best, we're a moderate religious social gathering. And I can't hack that for very long. I don't think you can either. Following Jesus is miserable without the presence of God. It's miserable without his presence, without his power, without his spirit moving among us. That's why we pray this prayer, because we don't want to just have an intellectual idea about God or like something that we kind of agree with or don't agree with depending on the Sunday. We want to encounter the living God. We want to experience the power of God. This is why we pray all of the time, come Holy Spirit. Move among us. Move in my heart. What you've started, finish. What you've started, continue. Move in this space. We don't want to do anything without your presence. We don't want to go anywhere without your power. I cannot do anything. I cannot make anyone healthy. I cannot make anyone whole. I can get no prophetic word in my own power. I cannot be anointed to preach the gospel just because I've read enough books and commentaries. It's not going to happen. The Holy Spirit must be invited to come and move in our lives and move in our midst. And I just want to urge you, like Paul urged Timothy, to keep these prayers at the center of your life and at the center of your heart. Because I promise, I'm betting the farm on the fact that these 17 words will change your life. Can I pray for you right now? Can you pray for me right now? And come, Holy Spirit. These prayers, they help us to be joining God's mission, transforming all things. And if we use these prayers in a consistent basis, I promise you, you'll begin to see God move in dramatic ways in through your life. And it's not just when we gather, although it is when we gather. It's also on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day of the week. Just try. Like, try using these phrases throughout your week on a consistent basis and see what God might do. Let's pray together.